Well, everybody, thanks for coming to church today. I love it, everybody who's joining online. So we're in a series where we're looking at one of the oldest documents that the Christian church ever produced, written about 226 AD. It is called the Old Roman Creed. Uh, the word creed comes from the Latin word credo. Credo means I believe. So this is why this came into existence. The disciples of Jesus, for two primary reasons, um, fled Jerusalem, where all this began. All this began in this little place called Jerusalem in what we call Israel today. And it fled for two reasons. One, compulsion. The people who encountered the message of Jesus, who began to comprehend what happened when Jesus came to earth, couldn't help but want to tell everybody else. And so they voluntarily began to scatter throughout the Roman Empire to share the news. Secondly, it, it dispersed because of pressure, because of things like uh, governments turning against the Christian church. And because of the pressure, people dispersed. But here's the problem. You have these new followers of Jesus. They call themselves disciples, followers. And they're moving hundreds and hundreds of miles away from Jerusalem. But this book is not yet pulled together. And when it does come together, the Bible, you don't have printing presses. You have massive amounts of illiteracy. So as people are leaving Jerusalem to spread the message of Jesus, the church fathers gather together and they say, well, it's an oral tradition at this point, but we could take the most substantive elements of the message of Jesus and we could say, credo, we believe. And so that's what we've been looking at, these earliest statements. So we're going to now be on a belief that has to do with the Holy Spirit. When I talk to the Holy Spirit about the Holy Spirit, it's um, when I probably get the most notes and letters, both like, yeah, and oh, you missed it. Because I think the Holy Spirit is probably the most misunderstood, most vague for most of us. Uh, parts of the Trinity, if you're spiritually unresolved, maybe you haven't been around, you're going to be like, Holy Spirit, what is that? Like, I've heard about Jesus, I've heard about God. So hopefully this is an introduction to you. I will tell you, I'm not going to be able to cover everything. This is going to just be a small snapshot. Um, but there's two things I'd like to say before we read the passage from John 14. I'd like to read the creed and then I want to give you two points before we jump in. Let's read the creed. This is the old Roman creed. I believe in God, the father almighty and in Christ Jesus, his only son, our Lord, who was born from the Holy spirit and the Virgin Mary, who under Pontius Pilate was crucified and buried on the third day, rose again from the dead, ascended to heaven, sits at the right hand of the father, whence he will come to judge the living and the dead and in the Holy spirit, the Holy church, the remission of sins, the resurrection of the flesh and life everlasting. Two things before we begin regarding the Holy Spirit. One, please know this. The Holy Spirit is a gift, a gift. That is mentioned over and over throughout the Bible. Now, why is that important? We will have a tendency to view things like uh, the Holy Spirit through a religious lens. Okay? We're trying not to be religious. We're trying to be as authentic and filled with faith and grace as possible. But here's what we think of often when it comes to the Holy Spirit. We think that the Holy Spirit is like a merit badge. If you could just stop doing certain things, start doing other things, if your behavior could change, well, then there's this gift. So oftentimes, even in our culture, right, we incentivize people 
right? Okay, if you could do this, if you could perform this way, if you could make these many sales, then you get a reward. And in our minds, we begin to think of the Holy Spirit as a gift, but a gift given with strings, a gift given only when we achieve certain things. But over and over in the New Testament, Jesus says this, I am giving you a gift. And it's for everybody who has surrendered their lives to me. It is this gift. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to achieve it. You don't have to change. It is a gift given free and, free and clear. So think of your birthday. Think of Christmas. You get a gift. Maybe it is wrapped so nicely. My mother wraps the nicest presents. And you almost don't want to open it because you feel like you're ruining something. However, I, no matter how hard I try, my presents always look horrible. Like maybe it's the duct tape I use. I'm not sure. But like you can always tell who wrapped that one, right? Um, but you, if you get this gift, it's wrapped beautifully. What do you have to do? In order to fully enjoy it, you have to actually at some point open the gift. You have to tear off the ribbons. Um, in my pocket, <clears throat> this is a gift card. I received this four years ago for sitting on a board. It is valued at $200, a Visa gift card, $200. For four years, I have been thinking about and trying to spend this. I just looked at the paperwork. It expires next year. I have to use this, but here's what's happened. There have been so many times when I've been somewhere, I go, oh, I got to use that gift card. And I'll open my wallet. I'm like, where in the world is that thing? And for months on end, I will misplace it. Where did it go? It's in my book bag. No, it's in my drawer at home. Oh, it's in my truck. So I found it yesterday in my truck. This is $200. I have to use this in the next nine months or it expires. So it's a gift. It was given to me free of charge. The issue is I've... I've not accessed it. I've not utilized it. I've misplaced it. I've saved it for a rainy day for something that I want to buy and like, oh, I'll put this money together with this and I'll get something shiny. This is going to be fantastic. So oftentimes the Holy Spirit in our lives is like this. Okay, it's a gift given, but I don't fully understand it. And I don't know, I'm sure I'll need it sometime. And so we go through life and like, I'm in a high pressure situation. I, things are out of control. And you're like, the Holy Spirit, I think that's what, he's supposed to help me right now, but I have, what? Where is he? Where is he in the truck? No. And so we don't utilize the Holy Spirit, but he's a gift that we desperately need. Here's the second thing about the Holy Spirit. There are two aspects to his work. Okay, and we'll, we'll fall under these two headings. The first aspect is he works in the disciples of Jesus. Okay, within. So to, to change us, to transform us, to heal us, to, to give us a sense of identity. There is all this work that the Holy Spirit does in the life of someone who surrendered to Jesus that is, I mean, it's beautiful. It's restorative. It's making us into different people. Okay, so that's one big part. There's a second part of what the Holy Spirit does is not only work within us, but works through us. He works through us to continue to do what Jesus did. The book of Acts is filled with stories of the Holy Spirit working through the followers of Jesus. Sometimes it's sensationalistic, extraordinary, and miraculous. 
there's people speaking in other languages. That's the Holy Spirit working through you. It's miracles. It's life changing. And so that is a very real part of what the Holy Spirit does. But we don't have time to cover that today. However, if you wanted to read about the Holy Spirit working through your life, this is on the website. This is a study I did from Acts chapter 2. follows throughout many sections of Acts. And it's also at the Welcome Center. So you can download this uh, on the website. Pick this up at the Welcome Center. But today we're talking about what the Holy Spirit does in us. And here's why we're going to read John 14. It's one member of the Trinity, being Jesus, describing another member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. That's a great place for us to start. Let's read together John chapter 14. John chapter 14. This is the end of Jesus' physical life. He only has a matter of days left to live. He's been telling his disciples, who had left everything, for three years, they had abandoned everything they knew, their businesses, they had left their hometowns, they'd followed him. And Jesus says, uh, here's what's going to happen next. I'm going to be dead. I'm going to die. Like, I'm going to be executed. And they're just forlorn, distraught. We gave up everything and you're going to die. Jesus says, but there's more to the story, but they can't comprehend it. So he's downloading very important information. If you love me, keep my commands. Now, this is going to be a theme throughout this text. Love and obedience are always coupled together. Jesus is going to join these two very distinct concepts, love and obedience. He puts them together. And I will ask the Father, and he will, what's this word? Give you. It doesn't say, and you will earn. And if you're good enough, he will give you. It is a gift, another advocate. Now notice this. We'll talk more about the word advocate but another, Jesus says, as I have been here for you, I've been present, I will bring, I will send someone else who will be an advocate to do what? Make you do sensationalistic, weird, obnoxious things. No? I mean, sometimes we understand there's miraculous things, but what is the Spirit's primary job? Help. How many people in the room need some help? Uh, yeah, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> Just like overwhelmed by life. I don't know what to do. I got all these challenges in my life. I'm confused. He will help you and be with you forever. Now we read this. It's like, oh, nice. Imagine being a first century Jew hearing Jesus say this because the Holy Spirit has been mentioned, but very briefly, in kind of a staccato fashion throughout the Old Testament. So we read about the Holy Spirit being present in creation, Genesis chapter 1, and the Spirit of God hovered over the face of this unmade, unshaped earth. And then sometimes hundreds of years would elapse before the Spirit would come again. The Spirit of God would fall upon a prophet or a general or a king because there was some insurmountable challenge that faced them. And God would say, here's what I'll do. I'll give you my spirit so that something supernatural can happen so that my people will be delivered and my people will be freed. But once that task was done, the spirit would leave. So you just have these infrequent visitations of the Holy Spirit. This is what Jesus says. Imagine he will be with you forever. Something is about to change. But the spirit will constantly and consistently be on the, on the planet. 
What's his name? He's the spirit of truth. Human beings have been searching for truth through religion and philosophy since our very beginnings. He will be the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept it because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Hold there for just a moment. Again, another revolutionary thought. If you were Jewish in the first century, where does God live? Where do you go when you need to worship him? You go to Jerusalem and you go to the temple. And in the temple is this place behind a curtain called the Holy of Holies. And in this Holy of Holies is the Ark of the Covenant originally, right? And so the presence of God, first it was a tabernacle, a traveling place of worship. And then, and then Solomon built a permanent place. And this is where God lived. And so you came to Jerusalem and you came close. Even to this day, if you were to go to Jerusalem right now, you would find people lined up on the western wall of the Temple Mount. The temple's no longer there. But they'd be at the western wall because that is as close as you could get to the Holy of Holies. And so they're still praying, trying to gain access to the presence of God. And what is Jesus saying? This is how it's going to change. He lives with you and will be in you. The apostle Peter says that now the temple of God is not made of stone and masonry. The temple of God are the disciples of Jesus. There is something that happens when you surrender to him. This is part of the work he does within us. That God takes up residence in our lives. And you put us together. And we are the residence of God on planet earth. I will not leave you as orphans. You're not going to be alone. Everybody. We think about orphans. We think about the Oliver Twist and the Annie stories. It's, it's somebody who doesn't have an advocate. Someone who doesn't have anyone there. They're lonely. They're isolated. It says, I won't do that. I will come to you. My presence will be there through the Holy Spirit. Before long, the world will not see me anymore. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. It's part of that regeneration. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. It's a lot of ends, right? But Jesus is going to say, once the Holy Spirit comes, there is now going to be a joining together of human beings with divinity that has been unheard of. Couldn't even be imagined up to this point. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Remember? Obedience and love are going to be joined together. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? It's a legitimate question. Jesus, if, if you're going to show yourself, show yourself to everybody. And Jesus gives a very cryptic answer. He says, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. He said, you can't even see the Spirit. You can't experience the Holy Spirit 
unless you're in relationship with me, unless you love me, unless you're obeying me, then it creates this environment for the Holy Spirit to take up residence in human life. My Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. The residence of God within humanity. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. Those words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace, shalom, I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Let's take a few moments and we're just going to divide this into three sections. Three things. When we say we believe in the Holy Spirit, that's a big topic. It's called pneumatology in theological circles. Pneuma, spirit in the Greek language. Pneumatology. But let's just grab three things here. This is, here's what I believe. Number one, I believe the Holy Spirit is my advocate. My advocate. This addresses the issue of human loneliness. Humans have felt disconnected. They have felt disconnected from God, disconnected from one another. The Holy Spirit is my advocate. Some of your translations will have the word counselor or helper instead of advocate. The word advocate in the Greek language really was not used except in the legal system. You needed an advocate if you were charged certain crimes. Because most of us just don't understand how the whole system works. And I don't know, anybody ever read a legal document and you're reading through it and you're like, I know these words are English, but they don't make any sense to me. Like these aren't, what is this? An advocate is able to read and decipher. An advocate is able to stand between you. So here's the punishment that's threatened against you. Here's where you are. Where does the advocate place themselves? Right in the middle. He says, no, no, I'm defending this person. I'm speaking on behalf of this person. I am helping this person comprehend what is going on. So you and I have this gift called the Holy Spirit who comes to help. Comes to help. I mean, we need help. I, I really need help in life. I think there's not a day that goes by where I don't face a situation where I think, I don't know what to do here. I have no idea what to say to this person. My instincts tell me to react a certain way, and I want to go with my instincts. I need help. You need, like it or not, you need help. This is how much I need help. Do you know the first time I tried to go to Bible college, I was expelled after four months? You know what it's like to be in a Bible college? You're paying them like $20,000 a year to be there. And they say, ah, please don't ever come back again. I'm like, what? I, I once got my head stuck in an elevator. That's how much help I need. This is, this, this is an authentic story. I am talking to a friend in an elevator. And I'm sure, I am absolutely positive. I have my hands on the elevator doors, right? And uh, as I'm talking, I don't even see it coming. Boom. 
And you know how the doors are supposed to open up? I don't know what's going on, but they don't open up. And I, I can't get my head out. And my friend starts to get shorter. The elevator is seriously going down in front of me. And I'm like, yeah. look, I'm pushing, trying to get out. I can't get out. I finally have to rip my head out. My ears are black and blue and swollen for weeks. Like these are already big enough ears. Imagine them swollen and blue and black. I, I can't even get in and out of an elevator without getting trapped. I, I can't get through a bachelor's degree without getting expelled. I need help. And you need help. And we need help. Because there is so much brokenness in this world. And there's so, so many things that are just overwhelming to us. And, and, and there's so much of the old nature of being selfish that is fighting within me. Jesus says, here's what I'll give you. I'll give you someone who stands between you and potential punishment. I'll give you someone who translates truth. I will give you someone who reminds you and who teaches you. He'll be your helper. He'll be your counselor. I'll give you someone who can help you understand the things in life that are so beyond you. I was talking to a young man this week. I just, I have so much admiration for him. He's been just trying to investigate who God is for about six months. He's been coming here for six months. He says, hey, I've read through most of the New Testament, and I began the book of Leviticus, and I'm really confused. And I said, I get it. You're really confused. It's ancient, and you're, you're like culturally you're not sure what's happening. I absolutely get that. And here's what I said. I said, I, too, experience confusion when reading the Bible. I just don't always get it. So, but here's what I do. Anytime I pick up this book, I bring a pen and I bring a notebook. And this is what I ask. I ask that the counselor, the Holy Spirit, who was promised to remind me of everything Jesus said and to teach me, I pray that he would show up and tutor me because I have significant cerebral congestion. I have all types of limitations. And I looked at this young man and I said, you will never, ever read the Bible alone. You have the spirit of truth who is your advocate who will come to you and help you to understand things that are beyond you. That is the nature of the Holy Spirit, the teacher of truth, the tutor, the one who guides us into all good things. He stands up for us. Here's the second thing about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit addresses issues of human motivation. The Holy Spirit compels us towards loving Jesus. One of the big things, one of the primary things that the Holy Spirit does in our lives is he compels us towards loving Jesus. He will stir up affections for Jesus. So there's this interesting thing that you read in the New Testament about the Trinity. The Trinity is this idea. I can't explain it in full. It is completely beautiful, mysterious, that God is one, and yet there's the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and they're not superior to one another. God himself is relational. I mean, that's, a, that's an interesting thought. It actually includes us in relationship. But Jesus will say this as he's walking the earth. He says, I, I don't speak on my own behalf. I don't get to do whatever I want to do. 
I am here to obey my father. I am here to carry out my father's wishes. He's always deferring to and pointing towards the father. As we read about the Holy Spirit, what is the Holy Spirit doing? He's always reminding us of what Jesus says. He's always pushing us towards Jesus. He's always glorifying Jesus. So part of what the Holy Spirit does is propels us forward to love Jesus more. Two weeks ago, I took a backpack trip with my kids and we did the beaten path, which is 27 miles from Cook City all the way down to East Rosebud. Absolutely gorgeous, stunning, but it's a long hike, multiple days, a lot of elevation change. And things have changed since I originally went backpacking with my kids. So I remember the first backpack trip that Jane and I took, we had two kids at the time and Jenny put the the youngest child in the baby backpack and then I like tied a sleeping bag on, but that's, that's, you know, there was no more room to put anything. She's got a baby. And so that meant I had to take all the, like backpacking with diapers and wipes, <laughs> all the food, multiple sleeping bags. So I've got this massive backpack and I've got a two-year-old and we're headed down the road and he just, he's, he pooped out like mile into it. He's like, done daddy pick me up. I'm like, I can't even pick myself up. Like, pick me up, dad, pick me up. So I I know this sounds horrible, but it works. I found a very blunt, very smooth stick. And I said, hey, Luke, can I push you with this stick? Because I can't pick you up. He's like, show, daddy. So I put this stick, very blunt, very smooth. This is not violent. This is propelling him onward, trying to encourage him. And I just walked behind him for the next two miles because I couldn't pick him up. And he just, he was like, this is great. You just took a lot of, he just walked along and we got there. He couldn't make it himself. Now, now, two weeks ago, we did the beaten path. On the last day, I was pretty tired. We had nine miles to go. And my kids, I didn't know this, but they had been going slow for me. Like, I didn't even realize this. Because the last day they're like, hey, dad, we're going to go ahead early in the morning. And I, I still, like, I probably overestimate myself. I'm like, yeah, I'll see you guys down the trail. Well, we get to this place where it's really open. And I don't see them anywhere on the trail. And, like, after six hours of hiking, man, my feet are burned. And I come down. And I'm like, kids, how long have you been here? They're like, uh, hour and a half, two hours. I'm like, what? <laughs> you just buried the old man. Like, how did you get two hours ahead of me on a nine-mile hike? Things have changed. If somebody put a stick in my back, would you please? Like, I need to keep up. So there's these moments in life when you're fatigued. There's these moments when you, I don't have any energy. There's moments where I don't have any love for Jesus. I feel spiritually numb. I feel spiritually dead. Here's what the Spirit of God does. Let me propel you forward. Let me help you love Jesus. Okay, remember the two things that are associated throughout that dialogue that Jesus has, obedience and, what was the other one? Love. Obedience and love. Here's the problem. Churches, religions, obedience is important, but what do we think sponsors obedience? Religion says guilt and fear. Guilt and fear sponsors obedience. So what we'll do is we will make people feel so guilty, so ashamed, that eventually they'll obey. 
So we'll modify human behavior. We'll help them obey God by making them feel guilty or, or we will make them so afraid of the afterlife of consequences that fear will make them obey. Here's the problem. Fear and guilt are completely inferior motivations. Jesus says, the people who obey me will be in this relationship and what makes a person obedient? It's love. It's love. Fear and guilt never change my heart. Those are exterior things. We try to put something on the exterior to motivate someone. Love is an interior motivation. If I could just love Jesus, my life would change. So imagine there's something that's taking you in an errant direction in your spiritual life. Like, I, I don't want to do that. Why do I keep going back to that? That is selfish. That's self-destructive. Here's the challenge. I love this thing at least as much as I love Jesus. And because I love it, I move towards it. So I'm at this point in my life. I'm the oldest of five. I tend to feel guilty about everything. I feel responsible for everything. I'm trying to figure out when there's something that's going sideways in my life, rather than making myself feel guilty, rather than making myself afraid, I'm realizing what I want right now is I want to love Jesus more than that thing. Because if I love him, I obey him. And here's what the Spirit of God does. He stirs up affection for Jesus. He propels me towards Jesus. So rather than having a religious life that's filled with guilt and shame and fear, I have a religious life that is filled with passionate love for God. And when I am passionately in love with Jesus, my life lines up with him and I begin to obey. So we always want to be a community around here. People's lives get out of wonk all the time. Get off base, off the rails, whatever it is. Here's what we're going to try to help you do. To love Jesus more. To find healing. Because when you're in love with Jesus, you tend to obey him. You tend to walk with him. And that includes you in the beauty of relationship. Here's the third and final thing. The Spirit compels us towards loving Jesus. The Spirit is our advocate. And finally, the Holy Spirit creates a new identity that cannot be taken or shaken. Holy Spirit creates a brand new identity for human beings that cannot be taken or shaken. So part of what the Spirit does is you make sure we're not left as orphans. Remember Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you as an orphan with no support. You got to fend for yourself. In fact, I'll be with you in a whole new way through the Holy Spirit. Here's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit gives me a new sense of who I am. Almost everything one I know, it deals with some form of insecurity. Like, like I'm looking at you now. I love you. You're insecure. I'm insecure. Let's get it over with. And we don't know who we are. We don't know. We're, so we're trying to achieve certain things. What the Holy Spirit does is he, he says, here's who you are now. When, 
When I surrender to him, there's this whole idea of regeneration that the most significant problem with human beings is that we're spiritually dead. When we rebelled against God, that's what we inherited, deadness. But when we surrender to Jesus, something of the presence of God comes into our life and regenerates us. So now I'm alive. Remember, I will be in you and he will be in, we'll all be together in this. And now I'm joined together with God, but there's still a whole bunch of garbage in there. I've inherited it, I've experienced it, I've created it, but this new person gives me a new identity. Paul says this. He says that when you surrender to him, you now become a child of God. Your new identity is not linked to what you've done in the past. It's not linked to what you've achieved. Your new identity is this. You are a daughter of God. You are a son of God. And the Holy Spirit works to constantly remind us of our new identity. That when I, am, when I am tempted to act out my old selfish ways, the Holy Spirit says, mm, mm, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Do you remember who you are? Oh, yeah. I'm a son of God. You are a son of God. You don't need to go that direction. That's who I am. It creates this security that can never be taken, can never be shaken, that I am now a part of this Trinitarian relationship. What we read is just mind-blowing. That God, Jesus says this, once this happens, when the Spirit of God comes, you will be in me, I will be in you, the Spirit will be in you. You will be linked into who God is. It's no longer divided between divinity and humanity. You will be included in this Trinitarian relationship. And the presence of God is in you. It takes a long time to figure out how to let that thrive in my life, doesn't it? I still got all my old instincts, but there's this brand new me. In fact, in the book of Romans, Romans says, what could ever separate us from the love of God? What? And then he goes through it. He says, oh, should trials, should hard times, should persecution, should pain, suffering, Oh, hey, let's change it. How about, how about, could demonic forces separate you from the love of God? Could angels, demons, could they separate you from the love of God? He goes through this entire list and he says this. There is absolutely nothing, high or low, visible or invisible, that could ever separate you and I from the love of God. Because the Spirit of God is within us. He now loves us. We are included in his family. And there is nothing you've done. There's nothing I've done. There's nothing I might do one day that could ever separate me from the love of God. And that is mind-blowing. That is mind-blowing. Because love for us is conditional. You do nice things for me. I'll do nice things for you. That's conditional love. God says this. You are loved. Your new identity is a son or a daughter of God. And God can never love you more than he loves you at this very moment. Regardless of what happened this week, regardless of how mean you've been, his love for you is complete. It is total. That is our new identity. And that is the identity that the spirit of God gives to us. Will you pray with me?
Jesus, as you were leaving the earth, I imagine that there were multiple things you could have given your followers. You could have given them limitless resources. Here's all the wealth, all the money you'll ever need. You could have given us infinite intelligence. But instead you gave us the spirit, the advocate, the helper, the counselor, the teacher, the tutor, the reminder. Lord, we need help. For any of us who, maybe we've been walking this out for a while and we've, we've misplaced the gift of the Spirit. We've kind of forgotten about it. We're not accessing. We're not utilizing. God, I pray that we would open up our lives once again to the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit. And we declare our need for a counselor, our need for a tutor, our need for an advocate, our need for a helper. And Lord, rather than rely on our own strength, our own experiences, we just would rely on you. We're not alone. Thank you that we are now a part of this Trinitarian relationship. It is mysterious, but it gives us a brand new identity. We're no longer defined by the things around us or the things we achieve or do. Our core identity is that we're sons and daughters of God. And we're included in you. And all the messages that come that tell us that we are something else, would you remind us of who we truly, truly are? Would your work be active in our lives to shape us, to change us, to renew us. One final thing. I just want to speak to anyone who's in the room and maybe you're here because something's been stirring in your life and you're looking for truth. And this idea that God could live within humanity and it's not based upon your moral performance or failure, but it's based upon his love. And the way that you experience regeneration spiritual life is not by doing anything, but by surrendering to him. If you want your core identity to be changed, to be a daughter of God or a son of God, I'm asking you to do something. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand really high. And we just say this, God, I surrender to you. I need your life. I need the miracle of rebirth. I need your Holy Spirit because I need help. If that's you, just raise your hand and wave at me. Catch my eye. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Both of you. Yes, ma'am. You're his daughter? Yeah, absolutely. Right back here as well. And there. Yeah, in the middle. Yes, ma'am. You're his daughter. You're forgiven. You're made new. Yes, sir. You're his son. Right there. Yes, ma'am. Yes, I see your hand. Don't you know? Yes, sir, you're forgiven right now, and then you are loved. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Right there on my left. Yes, I see your hand. Okay, right there. Anybody in the balcony, if that's you, please wave at me. Okay, right there. Yeah, there. Right over here. Absolutely, yeah, right in the front. I see your hand. Beautiful. Yeah, and there as well. Right here. I'm sorry I missed you. Yes, sir. 
hey, would you open your eyes and would you apply for a big group of people who made a very, very big decision? If you raise your hands, I want you to know you are so loved by God and you are so welcome here. And begin the journey. There's a Bible for you for free out at the Welcome Center. We want to help you on this journey. Everybody else, be the hands and the feet of Jesus. Be the mouthpiece of Jesus. And don't you dare try to do it alone. Be infused and filled with the Spirit of God as he works in you and through you. God bless and have a great day.